0: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Willie. You may be seated. Well, we have a wonderful service today. As Willie mentioned, there'll be baptisms, baby dedications. There'll be, uh, we're going to announce some new partners, and so it's going to be a, a wonderful day to celebrate. But every Sunday, every day really is a wonderful day to celebrate in the Lord. Amen? Amen? We can gather together as a family, be changed by His Word and His Spirit, and just figure out how to live lives that bring Him glory, right? I mean, that's what it's all about, church. And so, uh, I have a lot of issues, right? I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the only one right here in the room. One of my issues, however, is not the ability to sleep. That's usually, that's usually not a problem. I'm good, I can sleep. But the last like year, year, two years, I don't know if I'm getting older, I, was stressed. I don't know what it is, but I, I wake up, and I don't know if this happens to you, I'll wake up at like two in the morning, and I'll look at the clock and I'll plead like, Lord, please, don't wake me up, give me one more hour, just one more hour, you know, right? Yeah. And, you, and then you start like trying to tell yourself not to think about stuff, which is thinking about stuff, and you know, then two turns to three, and three turns to four. All that to say, I had my sermon done like Thursday, I was, you know, kind of knew what I was going to talk about. Friday morning, about 2.30, looking at the clock, you know, please Lord, three thirty, four o'clock, 4.30, all right, I'm up. I get up. Now, my wife's saw, or she's already up. She's been up, I don't know how long. She's, you know, but so she has her quiet time in the morning. I'd like to try to make the case that it's better to have quiet time in the evening. It's not really probably the case. You want to start your day with the Lord. But anyway, so she's up, and uh, so we, we're going to spend some time pray, and listen to a sermon together. And Alistair Begg is one of, my, one of my favorites. So I listened to an Alistair Begg sermon. I'm like, ooh, that's good. And I'm like, ooh, I can talk about, yeah, that's, you know, so I'm like, you know what? We got to hear that. That's a, that's a word for us. And so I believe, I mean, some of the material from that sermon I'm going to use here, I think he did a good job, but I believe that the Lord woke me up at two o'clock for your benefit. So you're welcome, you know, care of that sleep. But so the title of the message this morning is The Great Church Community. The Great Church Community. And so the idea, my idea is that if we together follow the greatest commandments, As we live out the great commission, that we will become the great church community that Jesus envisioned, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Together, following the greatest commandments, living out the great commission to become the great community, amen? So take a moment, say hi to somebody near you, and then we're just going to pray and get started. Father, as we read from your word this morning, Lord, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, spirits to receive and apply what we learn here in this place, that we may together become more like your son, Jesus, and live lives that bring glory to him. And so have your way in and through us, God. There's nobody here that's here by accident. There's nobody here that's simply here because of an invitation. We are all here because you wanted us here. And so, Father, I pray that even the most hardened of hearts be open to your truth, to your word, to the freedom you promise, to the freedom for which you paid so dear a price for each one of us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So if you're here and you're, you're, you're new to church and you think it's just about rules and, and, you know, Christianity is about, you know, things you should do and other things you should not do, we're going to read the Ten Commandments, which is really true. But we're going to see the life of, what does the law mean in the life of a Christian today? What was the law intended for? Because a lot of times we have this idea that the Old Testament was law, was under law, was about rules. And the New Testament's love. And there's truth to that. But we're going to to look at that together. And so we're going to read. We're going to start by reading God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. And if you want to take a moment to turn there and we'll read through it together. Because it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what I feel. It doesn't really matter what you think or you feel. If God exists, if God is real, then there's objective truth. There's beyond what we think or feel, there's some standard outside of us. And so that's what we believe the Bible is, is God's written word to humanity. We believe Jesus. If you want to know about God, who God is, what God looks like, you look at Jesus. And so people, and maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I don't like church. I don't really like a lot of Christians. Well, Jesus really didn't like the church as it were in his day, and he didn't like a lot of the religious people in his day. In fact, the people he railed most against were church people, right? But what I like to say here is we don't follow Christians. We follow Jesus. We worship Jesus, Amen? amen? So we're going to begin by reading God's word, Exodus chapter 20. It says, and God spoke all these things. And again, that's important. Because this isn't man's view, this isn't man's delivery, this isn't man's uh, commandment, this is God's. And God spoke these things, and he said this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Because see, if you don't get this right, then you can't get any of it right. If you don't understand what he's saying is, I am God. I am the God who created. I am the God who sustains. I am the God who intervened in your life, wants to capture your heart. I provided for you freedom. I set you free. I am the one who's acting and has acted and will continue to act on your behalf. I am that God. And as such, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, your Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You know, we say idolatry. I don't have any statues. I mean, I don't worship statues. I mean, I don't have, what is that? How does that apply to me today? But how many idols do we have in our heart? How many things are there that we put above God? And we're gonna look a little bit more at that. But that's what he's saying here. Look, there's nothing, not your wealth, not your health, not your abilities, not your talents, not your relationships, not your status in society, not your wives or husbands, not your children. Nothing should be placed above me in your life. If you don't get this right, if you don't put God first, you can't live out the rest of it. You can't move to step two. And it continues, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, no one in your household. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, God didn't create for six days and get tired. That word he rested means he ceased creative activity. And so here's the thing. The reason that things are commanded is because we don't take suggestions well. That's why it's the great commandment, not the great suggestion that we go and make disciples. Right. And so on a real practical level, I mean, you know, some of it, you can work 80 hours a week for a week, two weeks, maybe a couple of months. You can't maintain that long term. Practically speaking, the idea to be most productive and most efficient is that you work and you work and then you rest and you refresh and renew so that you can continue to work. We're not good at that. People say, oh, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. If we had 30, we'd fill those. That's just how it works. So God's saying, look, you do your work, you be productive, and you rest. And and he commanded it because, and here's the thing, here's one of the principles we're gonna make. Everything God commands, everything God tells us that he wants for us or that he wants us to do is for our own benefit. It's because he wants us to flourish. I'm a parent. Now, what kind of parent would I be if I'm like, you know what, guys? My kid's really little. Do whatever you want today. I love you so much. I don't care. You want Fruity Pebbles, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? That's fine. You can watch whatever you want. I don't, it doesn't matter. I love you. Do whatever you want. You'd say, you're yeah, not a good parent. And that's not love. But yet we think in relationship to God that that's, we just kind of do, Do whatever. So now I understand that the world's idea is like, oh, Christianity is things you should do and things you shouldn't do and God doesn't want us to have fun. And I get that the world gets wrapped up. They don't understand God. But the church thinks that too sometimes. Right, right. And so that's why Paul goes, the, the God who sent his only son to die for you, how much more would he not do in your life? How mu- what more evidence do you need that he loves you? How much more do you need to be convinced that he wants what's best for you. And so that's what's happening here. And so this idea of, of keeping a Sabbath day, of, of keeping it holy, is set apart, is for our benefit. And then it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord has given you. Because there's something important about a family unit, about the idea of structure, respect, gentleness. Then it says, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Lie. You shouldn't cover your neighbor's house or his, or his wife, or his male servant, female servant, anything in his house. So if you're here and you're not coveting your neighbor's donkey, that's good. That's, you're following the commandments. Well done. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we'll die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. It says the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses going, Listen, what God's doing, what he's given you here, is he's given you. Instructions. He's given you guidelines so you can flourish, so you won't sin. And we're going we're gonna to flesh that out a little bit more. So that's like the Old Testament, right? That's what we're familiar with. You went to school, you, went, you know, around, we to, I went to private school, nine years. You learn the Ten Commandments. You learn about Noah's Ark. You learn about Adam and Eve. And the Ten Commandments, if you don't understand them, it's just rules. Here it is, rules. And we know we love rules in America, right? I was telling somebody the other day, and this is not a, I don't care what you think, this is not a, a Uh, comment on the vaccine or COVID or whatever, but the idea that the government said you have to get vaccinated, I mean, that was the least effective way to get Americans to do something ever. Like, really? People like, I'm not gonna do it. you tell me to do it? I'm not, not doing it. I mean, that was just that backfired. We were born out of rebellion in a nation. Like, that's what we do, right? But in our hearts, all of us, that's what we are. You hear laws and rules, and no. We find a way around it. I wanna break it. I wanna test it. Now, the religious people at Jesus' day, the most religious, the people who knew the most, the experts in the law, they saw things the exact same way That's so they did. And so now we're going to turn to the New Testament. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. I'm going to give you the context here. You know, the Sadducees come up to Jesus and they're asking him all these questions. Well, Jesus, what if a guy gets married and then he gets, you know, then he's in heaven and then he got remarried and then and then and then, and then which one is he going to be married to? And he's, you know, Jesus responds to that. And then they ask him another dumb question. Well, Jesus, what about this? And they respond to that because they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, the experts in the law are trying to find the asterisk, trying to find the fine print, trying to test Jesus. Well, there's got to be there's got to be a way out of this. And so that's the context here. That's what we hear. And in Matthew 22, verse 34, after those questions, it says, now the Pharisees come up. And it says, now they heard Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and so they gathered together. And then they kind of get this guy, and they're like, you're the smartest. You're a lawyer. You, you try now. You're here. Go ahead. You ask him this question. So that's the context, right? That's what's happening here. And it says, so the lawyer asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So teacher, there were 10 commandments, we made them 613, we're going to look at that. Out of all those, what's the most important? Now, we know the motive is to test them. It doesn't really matter if the motive was to try and figure out which ones you have to obey, or, or whatever it was. The point was, it wasn't a good motive, it was to find a way out, it was entirely misunderstanding. The purpose and the spirit of the law. So the experts in the law, the people who could recite the law, who understood the law, who could tell you about the law, had no idea what the law meant. Somehow, the people that God had entrusted with the law for their benefit, they didn't get it. This is Jesus coming on the scene and dealing with church people. And so if you hear it like, man, every time I talk to a church person, I get frustrated. Jesus is infinitely frustrated, going, guys, you've had this your whole life. This is what you study. This is what you tell everybody about. This is what you repeat. This is what you write on your t-shirts and put on your bumper stickers, and you still don't get it. That's what he's saying. So Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind. We've dealt with that before. Heart in Hebrew is not just your emotions. It's not just a feeling. It is the center of your being. It is everything you are. Jesus is saying you're to love God with not just your emotion, your affection, but everything you are, your spirit, your intellect, your actions. Everything you are, everything you are is to love the Lord. Is the first commandment. You need to prioritize God in your life. Jesus is going, if you, it's the same thing. This message is the same thing over and over again. You're going to see. Jesus is going, if you don't get this, you don't get any of it. If you don't get this, what you end up with is empty religion. If you don't get this, what you end up is man's attempt to reach his way to God. And Jesus is God's attempt reaching down, God's success in reaching down to man. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is going, everything you memorize, everything you've taught, everything, all of it, everything has to do with this. This is what it's all about. You were given 10 commandments, you made them 613, and you still don't get it. And Jesus is going, I'm gonna summarize the summary for you. I'm gonna take the 10, and I'm gonna focus it down to the two. This is what it's about. It's about living your life in such a way that you love God with every fiber of your being, and as a result, it it affects the way you treat every single other human being. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. I don't know if you've read it in the business world, but his idea is this. A lot of companies are good companies. There's a lot of, maybe you work for a good company. There's a lot of companies that, that either they make a good product or they, they, have, a good, they have a good service or you know they're financially stable. They're good companies. They do well. But there are not a lot of companies that are great companies that, that seem to do everything well, that are exceptional in some area. We are a good church. We are a good, healthy church by every metric. And the way I know that is because I'm growing and the leaders are growing. We're being pushed and we're we're maturing and we're falling deeper in love with Jesus as He wrestles, as He, you know, I'm going through some stuff right now. Like, it's not easy. You know, sometimes when we're up here, it's harder, you know? People think we got it all together. No, I'm desperately clinging to Jesus right now. I got some stuff going on. Struggle, testing, uncomfortable. But God is working. He's working in me. He's working through me. And he's working here in this place. And we hear testimony after testimony. What we celebrate today, we're going to celebrate new partners. We're going to celebrate baptisms. People giving their lives to Jesus. We're going to dedicate babies to God. It's all about giving more to him. And so here's the thing when I talk about us being a great church. If you're a math person, if you like equations, here's the Christian equation, right? Effectiveness is equal or greater to, uh, equal than or greater to surrender. You, you know the way that we can be a great church is not if we have a lot of money or if we have a lot of talent, a lot of ability, or a lot of programs, a lot of strategy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those it's if we have a lot of people that are surrendered to God. We want to be effective. It means we have to say, all right, Lord, you have your way. And you know what? This week, this has been a few times, I didn't want to say that. You know what I mean? But in his gentle way, it's like, you know you've got to deal with this, right? You know you've got to allow me. You know you've got to give me this, right? And it's easy to run away. It's easy to be like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't, you know, and some of us in our whole lives do that. One of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite things to preach about is freedom. I've preached about it before, but I love it. Because you can ask people, what do you think about the church? I don't like the church. What do you think about Jesus? I don't like Jesus. What do you think about ice cream? I don't like ice cream. I like, you know, some people like, what's that, frozen yogurt? What is wrong with that? <laughs> Who doesn't like ice cream? But anyway, so there's a lot of things people like, don't like, right? What about Jesus? Where's Jesus in our life? In our heart? What are we worshiping? And so freedom, this idea of freedom. I haven't yet run into somebody and said, hey, what do you think about freedom? And have them go, yeah, you know, I don't really like freedom. I'm not a fan of freedom. One of my favorite scriptures, Galatians 5.1, is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, Do not allow yourself to be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The idea is that the freedom, everybody here, every single person sitting in this room wants to be free. There's nobody here that doesn't want to be free. Here's the thing. What you think is going to lead to freedom, I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, will have the opposite effect. There is no freedom apart from the source of freedom. I looked for it in addiction. I looked for it in success. You can hear testimony after testimony of people who tried to find freedom in all kinds of things. And God's saying, look, I know that you want to be free. That's why I sent Jesus. I want you to walk in freedom. We want the same thing. It's just you don't know how best to get there. So let me help you. See, when people don't, don't live for Jesus, when there's certain things in our life we don't give him, I don't think he's so much disappointed in the fact that we did what we did. Like I think we look at like we do the wrong thing, God's like, you shouldn't have done that. But when I set rules for my kids, when I have guidelines for my kids, it's not because I don't love them. In fact, it's because I do. And so I want them them to follow those those guidelines. I want them to, to live that certain way because I want them to trust me. So I think what breaks God's heart is not so much that we didn't do the right thing, but why didn't we? I feel like God says, I sent Jesus to die in your place. How much more do I have to do to prove my love for you? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me with all of your life? Why are you still holding on? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why do you keep putting yourself back in bondage? Effectiveness is equal or greater to surrender. I read a story about the founder of Hobby Lobby the Green family. And uh, there was an article recently, it's a $13 billion company, privately held. There's an article I read recently that he's given his company away. He's not going to just pass that to the next generations. I'm sure they're not going to be on the picket line anytime soon, but he's, he's given the company away. And people say to him, you know, that's, you know, amazing. how you know. And he's like, I don't, he's like, we borrowed 600 bucks and we started building picture frames in a garage. And God built this. I'm not giving anything to him that's not already his. He's recognizing that God did that. And Hobby Law is one of those companies, they pay all their work as a higher rate uh, wage. They close on Sunday, which in that industry is the most profitable day of the year. They always close at 8. They've done things that people said, well, that's not the way to make money. And they've said, yeah, but that's the way to honor God. And the company's grown, and the company's grown. And if you read a lot of business books, it's amazing they'll say things like, value the relationship and not just the, you know, value people, treat people well. It's like, you guys are geniuses. It's amazing, the insight. So Green's just going, look, this is all his. And he's saying, well, he's got all kinds of money. Look, God's not going to say to you one day, hey, what'd you do with somebody else's money or somebody else's time or somebody else's talent? God's going to say, with what I gave you, with who I gave you, with where I put you, what did you do? Did you recognize it was all mine? Did you live from me? And now we think, we hear that, and some of us, especially if you, you, know, you come from a religious context, you're like, yeah, I want to live for me. I don't want to live for God. And what I'm telling you, and what he's telling you, is that the way to purpose and value and meaning, the way to peace and joy, the way to freedom, is found in submission to him. That's the paradox. Freedom is found in submission. We've been, we've been talking about this upside-down kingdom where you die to live, where you serve to be great, But in those places, in those moments, you'll find what what you've been looking for. See, if not, what you're left with is the same thing the world has. You have a good day if things go good for you, you have a bad day if things go bad for you. You're up, you're down, you're all around. Or you can live, not with a happiness all the time, not with an emotionless existence, but with a joy that says, I trust in Jesus because he's worthy of all my trust. And nothing happens, nothing's gonna to happen to me that he doesn't know about. If we as a church can take hold of the instruction of the Bible in both of these areas, the great commandments and the great commission, I believe that we can be the great church community. And, and, you, and you say, and you know, Pastor Jamie, Pastor Sam and I, we talk, and some days, it's like, I can't do this, man. I'm so overwhelmed. I feel like, and we always remind each other, you can't but he can and we can, right? You can't. So You say, we're going to be a great church. You know why we're going to be a great church? Because we have a great Savior. Amen. You know why we're going to be a great church? Because he's a great God. Yes. And we're going to be a great church. You know what that means? That means when the people, can't. As I love fixing the building, we're doing all kinds of repairs, but I want people to say, hey, that, that Christian Fellowship Center, that's a beautiful place. Not because the building looks good, I want it to look good, but because, boy, the hearts of those people. Those people love Jesus. There's something different about those people. They are a great community. We take hold of the instructions, the great commandment, and we live out in the great commission. Found in Matthew 28, beginning verse 16. And I love this. It says, ready? Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So the first step, just showing up. The first step, just do what you're told to do. So Jesus said, go to the mountain. They went to the mountain. Then I love the next part. It said, where they worshiped him, but some doubted. It's an honest thing to put in there, right? It's kind of an interesting thing to know. They were there. They did what they were supposed to, but some doubted. And so if you're here today and you showed up, good for you. And if you have doubts, you're not sure, that's okay. That's okay. Jesus is still speaking to you. People say, I don't believe in God. and I like to say, well, he believes in you. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Saying, I am the God who created and sustains, who has intervened, who, had come, who has come down, and I'm giving you a mission. Therefore, verse 19 go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, we don't like that word, everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, lest we think we're called to just do this by ourselves. He's going, I'm with you. To the end of the age, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going to leave you. Now, if we embrace these instructions at this point in our church's history, I think it will be incredible. We, we've seen God do incredible things. But I think we can continue to see. I think, I think this is just the beginning. See, here in, in Matthew, in the passage we just read, some of you know Jesus is quoting for the Old Testament. So he's, he's dealing with this religious people, and he's going, all right, you know what we're going to do, guys? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the law that you were given. <clears throat> Let's talk about Deuteronomy. That's what he's quoting. He's quoting two things, Deuteronomy which we're going to read when we do the baby dedication, chapter 6. And he's, and he's quoting from Leviticus 19. He's saying, this, this word, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6, is called the Shema. The word Shema, it means to hear. It's a Hebrew word, to hear. And this is the word that we're going to hear. That all they, rem, You're supposed to memorize this. You're supposed to put it on your doorsteps, you think about it in the morning, you think about it at night, you tell your kids it. So Jesus is going, all right, let's talk about the command you are given, the commandments, and let's talk about what you repeat, what you tell yourself all the time. So Jesus is meeting the religious people where they are. He's going, all right, church people, let's talk about John 3.16, right? Like Let's talk about what you guys know, what you think you know. And so that's, that's what's happening here, that's the context. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that is the first part of the text in Matthew. And then the second is Leviticus 19 where he talks about loving your neighbor. And so today we wanna to be challenged by, we wanna be convicted by, we wanna be encouraged by, and we're gonna be motivated by this great commandment. And it's important that we understand and it's important that we teach that what Jesus is doing with, these, with the two most important, he's going, look, the Ten Commandments... The first four commandments, you may or may not know, have to do with our relationship to God. The first four commandments have to do with how we relate to him. And Jesus sums that up in love you, just love God with everything you are. And then the second six commandments have to do with the way we relate to one another. And Jesus just goes, love your neighbor as yourself. And then later on in John 13, we're going to see it here. He's going he's to explain to us exactly how to do that. It's, in, it's important, it's critical that we understand this, that we understand the commandments, why they were given to God's people, and why they're given to us in the Bible. The place of the law in the life of a believer, because people think the Old Testament was the law, the New Testament is grace and love, and, and the, the law does, no longer applies. And it's crucial that we understand this. And this is what Begg says, and I think he does an excellent job. He said, It's not only important that we understand, but that we embrace the all-demanding nature of God's law, which was given to his people, and I love this, in the context of a redeeming grace, so that grace and law together are unfolding. In the context of a redeeming, of, of being made right, God is restoring a relationship. He's making things right. He's extending grace and the law and the grace together are unfolding. He goes on to say this. The purpose of the law of the Ten Commandments were God's laws for his redeemed people. In other words, it's important that we recognize this. God took them out of the land of Egypt, and then he gave them the law so they could flourish as his people. God did not take them out of Egypt because they obeyed the law. They were not justified as the theological word. They were not made right in God's eyes because of what they did. They were given the law as God's already rescued and redeemed people. That's in vital of vital importance. It's critical to understand. And Teen Challenge and I mentioned this a few weeks back and if your name's Eileen and you're here, don't take offense to this. But we used to say people when you'd be like, are you being an Eileen right now?" Don't be Eileen. Because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So when somebody was doing something they weren't supposed to, you'd be like, You leaning on your own understanding? I lean. Because that's what we think. It's what I think. It's what I feel. You've heard a Bible study sometimes, or I have, and it's scary. People sit down, in the read the Bible and be like, what does this mean to you? What means this? What does it mean to you? What means this? What does it mean to you? What means this? Now, don't get me wrong. There is personal application. But it doesn't just mean whatever we want it to mean. We are not the center of history. And it's important that we understand that. The commandments were given to God's people after he rescued them. It was informing them of what God requires to live a good life. In the Old Testament, there was this idea of blessings and curses. And it's not just the spiritual principle. It is, but it's bigger than that. Think about it on a practical level. If you make bad choices, there's consequences for your actions. Life is going to be tough. For you and for people around you now, sometimes life's tough when we do right choices. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we know that the more bad choices you make, the more you're, you're running your own life, the more things aren't going to go so well. The more trouble you're going to cause. That true freedom is found when we trust in the Lord with all our heart and we don't lean on our own understanding. It's the Spirit of God that was empowering them to do what God requires and it's the Spirit of God working in us that allow us to live great lives for Jesus. So right away, number one, whether it's in the Shema, whether it's the first commandment or whether it's Jesus summarizing what is the greatest commandment of all times, it is simply love God. Love Him not just externally, love Him internally. Some people when we begin to move in this direction about the law and the life of a believer might say, but in Romans 6.14, Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And so, and this is, I wanna, I wanna make the point that Beg makes here, and I wanna read a couple of things he says because this is super important because what we're trying to determine out, how, how does the law apply to me now as a believer? How does the law apply to those under the New Testament? And that's what Beg's going to say here. Because people will say, again, Old Testament was the law, New Testament's just love. And it is just love. And it's like uh, Augustine said, love God and do what you please. The scriptures say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of of your heart. If you don't do the first, if you don't understand the first, you're never going to understand the second. The Pharisees neglected the first and they thought they could live out a system of rules. That's religion. That's what the world keeps talking about. All the articles you read, oh, the church is in decline. You know the church that's in decline? It's not his church. The church is in decline is our church, man-made church. Man-made religion, which is dead because there's no power because there's no Jesus. So this is what Begg says when we say, are we under the law, are we under grace? He says, the answer is this. First of all, we're not under the law as the way of justification. In other words, we are not made right. God does not see us as a certain kind of people, we are not made right in his eyes because of what we do. So we are not under the law as a means of that theological as justification, but uh, as a means of getting right by God. We are not under the law in that sense. Again, we are a people that we are rescued from Egypt and then given the law. The second, we are not under the laws that relates to mosaic legislation. So there were parts of the law that were ceremonial. There were parts of the law that were civil for God's people, Israel, for that theocracy, that nation at that time. We're not under the law in that regard. So we're not under the law and relates to our justification. We're not under the, the mosaic ceremonial and civil law because when people say, "Oh, you don't need shellfish anymore," you know, people that at Bible experts. That's our YouTube videos, you know what I mean? Everybody knows. Well, the Bible says this. We don't, you know, we pick and choose. That's not, that's a misunderstanding. And thirdly, we're not even under the law as it relates to the dynamic of our sanctification. This means, and this is super important. This means we are not under the law as it relates to being more and more like Jesus. This means that it is not about do's and don'ts, about rules. Is about submitting yourself to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to work in you and Him to work through you to do the things that you cannot do but deep down inside you want to do. And so I said a moment ago that Jesus is going to say a new commandment I give you. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And you say, well, that was, already, that was the commandment from the Old Testament. That was the first one, right? And then that was the commandment in the Shema. So they know this stuff. And see, all the Bible is Jesus saying the same thing over and over again because people don't get it. So he's going, all right, guys, all right. So we talk about the Ten Commandments. We talk about, you guys don't get it. All right, ready a new commandment. Ready? You're to love one another. And they're like, yeah, we heard that. And he goes, but you don't know how to do it. You seem to have missed how to do it. So ready? Here's the way you're going to love one another. The way I loved you. And everybody must have been like, ooh. How did Jesus love us? He went to the cross for us. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. He came not to be served, but to serve He got down and he washed grimy feet. He enters into the mess of our life. He loves us when we're unlovable. That's how he loved us. Because we think loving people is how and when we choose, if it's convenient, and if it works, if it's in a way where we can take a selfie and show everybody how lovely we are. The religious people were good at pretending to love they were good externally. And Jesus is saying the same thing to them that he's saying to us. When I was in Teen Challenge, there used to be a guy, a big guy. who was a staffer. He'd just walk around. He'd look at people and go, check your heart, brother. <laughs> That's all he'd do. He'd just walk around and say that. <laughs> check your heart, brother. Because, <laughs> you know, you go, you get a haircut, you lose a little weight. Not me, but some people would lose a little weight in Teen Challenge. <laughs> and they look good and, you know... Families would visit for the first time. He looks so good. We're like, he's ugly on the inside. Trust me, still ugly on the inside, right? But we're really good at, you know, carrying the Bible and going to the right groups. And I'm in this group and I'm in that group. I was at the church six times today. Like, you know, swearing at everybody getting in the parking lot, you know. Check ya out, brother. Because religion is is fixing up the outside, pretending everything's good, showing up with your Sunday best and how you doing? I'm great. And you're falling apart on the inside. That's not great community. That's fake community. Great community is where you can say, you know what? I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Or someone can say, yeah, man, I love you. That's great community. Jesus answers the greatest commandment and says, all the law and the prophets hang on this. And it's important that we grasp this, church. It's important that we understand that if we get number one wrong, everything else falls apart. We have a a chance this morning. You know, there are those who are made the commitment to be partners, which is just what we call membership here. There are those who are going to be baptized, which is identifying, baptism is identifying with Jesus' death, going down in the water with his resurrection, coming back up. It's a profession of faith. It's saying that I want to live for Jesus publicly. We're dedicating some babies, recognizing these babies were gifts from God. We want to raise them up in the faith. And so it's a celebration, and all those people are going to take part But if you're here, you're here because the Lord wanted you to be here. You're here because the Lord woke me up at 2 a.m. and changed my whole sermon because he wanted you to hear this message. You're here because if you think church is about empty religion, it's not, it's about freedom and purpose. You're here because God wants to capture your heart so he can set you free from yourself. And so I pray that when we celebrate the baptisms and the dedication, I want to celebrate you. And so if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus and you, you know you're here, and you, you know I'm here, somebody told me to come here, but I'm doubting good. Jesus talks to people like that. I pray that as we transition to the next parts of the service, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, that you would consider That you would not stifle that still small voice. That you would respond to the Spirit of God. That you would be part of something bigger than yourself. I've met dozens, if not hundreds of people that have told me that they regret what they gave their lives to. Whether it be their job or a relationship or the pursuit of whatever. I've yet to meet somebody who said, I gave my life fully to Jesus and I regret it. I pray this morning that if you're here that you would give your life to him that you would understand that when we read the Bible we realize that Jesus who's answering this question of the Pharisees and the Sadducees this is the Jesus who's going to go to the cross and by his sacrifice forgiveness and redemption are available to us And so if we're going to live out the Great Commission and we summarize that as to be and make disciples, then we need to understand and we need to internalize the Great Commandments to love him and to love others. St. Clair Ferguson says this, that the lawmaker became the law keeper and took our place in condemnation as though he the lawbreaker. The lawmaker became the lawkeeper and took our place in condemnation as though he were the lawbreaker. That's what Jesus did for us. Though he wasn't the lawbreaker, we are. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, Jesus loves us in our mess. He loves you right where you are. He loves you unconditionally right where you are. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you right where you are. And so all that remains is for us to understand that in him, the law's been fulfilled in him, obeyed in him, and the penalties have been paid through him. So let's live together in the power of the Holy Spirit to be and make disciples for Jesus, to be the great church community that he'd have us be. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you for this time this morning. And, Father, I pray as we transition to the announcements and to baptism, the dedications, that you would continue to minister to each of us. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that you're stirring their spirit, God, that you you continue that work that's begun, that if there's anyone here that wants to give their life to Jesus, that wants to say, I trust in you, that we celebrate that person as well, God. They speak to one of the pastors, Father, that they would just give their lives to you.